Hey, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to dive back into our Advent series, feeling nostalgic, remembering the good things about Christmas. Um, so often we, we blaze through this season, right? We're focused on all the things we have to do in this present time. We, you know, uh, get to all the invites, all the Christmas cards, all the things that would come at us, and some point in there, there's like a realization that, oh, it's Christmas, and then it's over, and so we go to all the Christmas parties and Billy's concert and make an appearance at that work thing and uh, get our family together and force a family photo for the Christmas card because I've already gotten 17 in the mail, so I should probably send something out. And we cook and we clean and we cook and we clean and we buy presents and we do all of this. And then somewhere in there, you might hear a song or someone says to you, hey, peace on earth, goodwill among men. And I think to myself, peace. <laughs> Do I really feel peace? See, peace is, is used a lot in our society. It can mean a lot of different things, a lot of different contexts for people. But I think the most like, common universal understanding of peace is the opposite of war, right? It's the opposite of strife and struggle. It is everything at peace and at rest. But what I want to encourage you to think about today is that actually, and especially how we're going to look at it in the context of, of God's word today, is that peace, shalom as it is, is actually not just the absence of something, it is peace, shalom coming in and replacing that. It is a completion. It is not just the absence of, of bad things, it is the fulfillment of good things and God making all things complete. And longing for a peace is a universal thing. We desire the tranquility, the freedom. We want everything to work out the way that it should and to avoid all the disruptions that might upset the peace in our life. And sometimes peace isn't just external factors. Sometimes peace can be completely internal. A desire, a seeking, a, one definition of peace is a freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts. Our emotions. You just think about our world today and all of the, the suicide rates and the struggles and the depression that goes on in our world, the highest we've ever seen in our society, and you understand that there is an internal battle for peace that sometimes nobody even knows is happening on the surface of your life. So as you come in this morning, there is a desire within you for peace. There's something nostalgic about uh, board games, right? I think... Uh, you know, especially around Christmas, maybe your family has a tradition of getting together and playing games and opening up. But there's something just cool about, you know, you open a box and, and you take out these little tactile pieces and you set them up. And this was probably one of my favorite games growing up. And it's a lot different now. I've kind of figured out having uh, purchased it. They've, they've added some things, right? The game of life. And they've, tried to, <laughs> they've tried to remove some of the elements of luck. Right? They've tried to make it more about, hey, if you behave well within the game and if you make some right choices, then, then you might have a better chance of winning. But luck still remains the greatest factor within this game, which I think a lot of people would say, yeah, it's just like life, right? But I mean, you take it out, you got all these things, you got these little cars and these cards and, you know, I always... Like, man, this taught me all about life, right? You can either choose the career path or you can skip uh, college, or yeah, you can go to college or you can choose the career path. So you skip college and then you just hope you land on a whole bunch more paydays than the people who went to college and you're like, hey, you paid all this money in college and I didn't, right? That's my life right now, actually. But, and then I went into ministry, so I didn't, you know, 
took this avenue, right? But I mean, like, you take out all these little pieces and you're setting it up and you're like, oh man, okay, I'm gonna buy a car and, you know, get my family together. And you try to hit all these major stops, right? You try to go through life and you're like, well, I guess, you know, I'll graduate college and then I'll choose a career and I should probably get married and then we should have kids as the next step. And now you can, these little green pegs, you can add pets. You can have cats or dogs within your life and they actually play a huge role within the game now. And then uh, you go through... And the whole time you're spinning and randomly throughout the game, you know, things will happen. And the, the goal of the game, right, is to get through life without any disruptions or very few. To keep the peace within the game so that you can get to the end and choose to retire in Millionaire Mansion, not Countryside Acres, which is very humble, but Millionaire Acres. You want the most money. You want to be the most successful. You want to win life, you want to know the most frustrating thing about this game for me? How small these pieces are. <laughs> like, look at this. Okay, like, when you, like, if you just, like, lose pieces, like, you're not, like, you can't play the game because there's no, like, replacement piece for this. Like, what are you going to do with that? Like, I had games where, you, like, you'd open up, there'd be, like, little Lego guys, right? And you'd be like, why is that in there? Well, I lost the piece, but that works. You can just kind of work it around. Like, that's not happening with life, man. You lose all these pegs, like, the game's over. So what happens in life when you lose the peace. Well, I think you can do a couple things. You can blame the game. Like, oh, it was just so hard. Why is life so hard? Such a hard game. I, I, if I just spun a seven, I would have won. Or you can look for the lost peace. The good news is that true peace in your life is possible. It is possible because peace is near, because God is near. But sometimes life does throw things at us and we feel like the peace is lost. So I want to look at how to find the lost peace. And we're going to continue in our study through the first two chapters in Luke and see an example of how to find the lost peace. So read with me in verse 26 of chapter 1. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed that is engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. All right, so it's like we're setting up the board here. We've got some pieces. We're going we're gonna to play this game and, and we're figuring some things out. So we're in the sixth month, okay, not of the year but of Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you look back up to verse 24, we see that after Zechariah received this vision in the temple, this announcement that uh, his barren wife will have a son who will go before the Lord and will be great. Okay, now Elizabeth has been pregnant for five months and she's kept herself hidden, right? And so now it says in the sixth month of that pregnancy, an angel comes to a city called Nazareth. Now, it's a city of Galilee, called Nazareth. That's like saying it's a city of Rochester called Chester. It's a very small town, right? We can show a little map here of Nazareth. You can see it. It is this up above Jerusalem. And this was such a, a small town that it's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. 
So I mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament, all of the trade routes that would have went through that area just avoided Nazareth because, I mean, we're talking like a few people, a small village. It wasn't even necessarily called a city. It was just anything uh, in that time that had like a group of people that lived there kind of was referred to as a city, but by no means by our standards today would you call this thing a city. And then we see that the uh, angel is going to a virgin, right? So we're kind of setting up almost like a Christmas movie, right? It's a small town. Nothing ever happens. No one ever expects it to. You got a small town girl living in a lonely world, right? And she's like engaged to this carpenter. He's not a, has no prestige that is in his occupation. The only thing he really has going for him is is in the lineage of David, the king, right? He's a descendant of David. But that, I mean, like, that's a big deal, but it wasn't like a huge deal because, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, like David had a lot of wives. I mean, things happened. Like things with kings, there was a lot of descendants that came and kids were pretty prevalent. It was a part of the culture there. So it wasn't like he was like holding that as like a name tag and that was going to be his payday that he was in David's line. It was just a part of who he was. But we'll see that it was a big deal for what's about to happen. So, well, how this engagement worked, too, is kind of interesting because we think of it as like, oh, they're engaged. Like, she's probably on Pinterest planning her wedding and kind of going through these things. And it's kind of just more, you know, we're figuring things out, maybe doing some counseling. No, engagement in those days was legally binding. They were referred to in public as husband and wife. The thing that was different is they didn't live together. They didn't consummate the marriage, right? But the only thing that could end the engagement was a divorce certificate or death. So this was like a big deal. Right, So if anything were to happen, it would be a huge deal, especially if you think about it in the context of a small town. So if Mary or Joseph were to commit adultery or anything like that, it would be blown up, it'd be this huge scandal, and there would be like some severe penalties that would be paid for that. So any type of disruption of the peace all right, of this small town girl's little life and her engagement going forward would have been a massive deal. It would have changed the course of her life. And then we read what happens to her. Verse 28. And he, the angel, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. All right, so do you want to know what just happened to Mary's game of life? Just no more peace. The game has changed completely. It is, hey, you're you're like 12, 13 years old. You're going to get married to this this wonderful car. You're going to live a small, quiet life. That is your plan, Mary. And then an angel comes and goes, nope. You're going to conceive a son. He's going to be... A pretty big deal. Everything in Mary's life just went out the window. She has no idea of what's lying in front of her. Her whole game just changed. But wait, there's more. Keep reading. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. You know, Joseph's ancestor, he will get that throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
I got questions. Anybody else got questions about how this is going to work? I mean, we've read this so many times that I feel like we just kind of blaze through it. It's like the Christmas story, right? But I mean, just kind of put yourself in Mary's sandals for a second. That was a Bible joke. <laughs> you're going to have a baby, Mary. You're a virgin and you're not married yet. You're in this year-long engagement. There's a seven-day wedding feast that's to come and then you could be with your husband and, and maybe have a baby. But right, you're going to conceive. We've already given him a name. His name is Jesus. And uh, he's going to be awesome. In fact, he's, he's the son of the Most High. And God is going to give him the throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. It's, it's never going to end. It's eternal. So, I mean, I'd, I'd have a lot of questions. Mary has a question, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Valid question. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, You didn't really answer my question. No, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I mean, does anybody feel like there's, there's some peace missing, right? There is some, a lost peace that is happening in Mary's life. I think, you know, again, we can, we can blame the game or we can decide that, okay, we got to change the game. It's going to look a little different. i got to play this differently than I maybe wanted to. I think no matter where you are, you can relate to the idea that at some point in your life, there has been a disruption of peace in your life. Something has gone not the way that you wanted it to go or the way you thought it should go, and you've had to change and search for the lost peace. So I want us to hone in on three verses this morning to see what Mary does when she loses her peace and then apply that to our lives today. So the first reaction we see from Mary is in verse 29. The angel appears and greets her by calling her favored one and tells her the Lord is with her. And then we see Mary react with fear and confusion in verse 29. But it's, it's not just because there's an angel in her living room. She is troubled at the saying, at the greeting that he used. See, Mary knew she wasn't anybody special. Not saying she had low self-esteem or like an Eeyore attitude. She just recognized that she came from a very small town and that her life was destined to be this quiet, humble life. And so when the angel comes and greets her and says, greetings, O favored one, what he's saying is you are full of grace. Not in the context of you are now bestowed upon God's grace and you have the ability to pour it out onto other people, which is sometimes the popular opinion of Mary, but rather, Mary, you are recognized as a recipient of God's grace in your life. Mary knew she was a sinner. She had no delusions of grandeur. She had to make the same sacrifices and follow the same laws that everyone else did. So when a divine being appears, and to be fair, 
for the first time that she knows of in over 400 years, a message from heaven and calls her favored and the Lord is with her, she's not like, oh, yeah. No, she reacts with humility. She reacts with humility. How to find lost peace? We need to react with humility. I'm not going to lie. This is, this is hard for me. Because so many times in life when peace is disrupted, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, this is not my plan. This is not what I wanted. I had some goals. I had some dreams. I had a vision for my life. And this is messing with that. Who gives anyone the right? I mean, maybe if an angel showed up, I'd be able to ask some clarifying questions and then I'd be good with it going forward. Why is it that every time an, an angel shows up, the average phrase is, don't be afraid? I don't think it has anything to do with the message they're about to give that person. I think it has way more to do with when our sinful nature comes in contact with a divine presence, we realize our place real quick. And it is not an, I got questions. It's getting low. It's a fear of, why me? Who am I to be in this presence? Who am I to have this greeting placed upon me of favored one? Mary isn't expecting this. Who would? She probably might think even that the angel's in the wrong spot. Like, ah, Jerusalem's like that way. Think think you're in the wrong house, but we see the comforting words of Gabriel come next. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You are a recipient of his grace. Is there anything that could bring us more peace in life than knowing that our sin has been covered by the grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ? Colossians 1 speaks of Jesus saying this, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mary is aware that she's not being called favored, full of grace because of anything that she did. While she didn't plan on having an angel show up this day, she still reacts with humility at his message, and finds peace in the grace of God. Now when the angel delivers this message he's been given, he doesn't just tell her she's going to have a baby. He fulfills prophecy, specifically from Isaiah 9. You've probably heard it a few times around Christmas, but Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So there's a lot to take in with this declaration. I mean, she would have heard some of that prophecy from reading the Old Testament. But there's not a lot of clarity behind what's actually happening here. We, we get it, right? Because we know the whole story. But 
Nobody's really going to understand what this angel is truly saying until about 33 years after Jesus' birth, right? So it's not like Mary is fully comprehending everything that was just said to her. And then we see her second response in verse 34, and it's with a question. Now at this point, after reading the beginning of chapter 1, I've kind of learned you don't ask angels questions. Because if you ask them a question, you might lose your voice or something worse. Mary, on the other hand, wasn't asking the same way Zechariah was. Zechariah's question wasn't really a question. It was a statement of unbelief. It was, I don't believe it. I can't see it. Mary's question is way more of a, as, as you translate it, it is way more of a, I believe you, now what? What's the, okay, got it, next steps are, because obviously there's a desire to understand how a baby could be born of a virgin because no other time that she can think of has there ever been a baby born without a man and a woman in the picture. We see Mary respond with faith in that. What happens now? Respond in faith. Okay, I'm, I'm good with this change. The game is, is different now. It doesn't look the way I want it to. There's pieces all over the place and I've lost it. But what happens now? What's the next step for me? This is so opposite of our culture right now, right? We live in a change my mind culture. Oh, you don't have proof? You don't have good facts behind you? I don't believe it. Why should I believe my authority? Why should I respect anybody from the top down telling me what to do when I have fake news and deception and scandals that have all helped me to lose peace when it comes to these things, to these situations changing in my life? But I think to find the greatest peace requires us to have the most faith. See, I I believe this. Faith is not living out what you know. It is trusting in what you don't. So often we think about faith as, oh, it's all these things I know. I have my faith and I will live that out. It's It's a desire to understand and believe these things and I have convictions and apologetics and I can answer those things and But what I've seen more and more in my life is that when I don't have the greatest peace, when I don't have all the answers, and I choose to trust and believe that what God is doing in my life is the best plan, that it activates my faith in a real and tangible way, in a way I never experienced before. And I I see that from Mary here. And maybe you're thinking, I thought this this week as I studied. Yeah, but there was an angel. I mean, it's easy to have faith. It's easy to respond in faith when there's an angel. I mean, it's a big deal. I can understand that. Okay, something greater than that's going on right now. So what could be better than an angel visit? That's a great question. I've got five things that are better than an angel visit. Write these down and the references that go with them. And the next time, okay, do this. The next time you say, God, give me a sign. Work through this list first. And if God hasn't made it clear, if he hasn't given you peace in your life about even just living in the tension of not knowing what's coming next, then keep praying for a sign and he will. But I think 
these five things are better than an angel visit. Number one, the whole Bible. The whole Bible's better than an angel visit. But what I mean by that is, again, Mary would have only had the Old Testament. You have in your lap right now, and if you didn't get one, our ushers can still give you one, the whole complete word of God. It says in 2 Timothy that all of it is breathed out by God and is useful. In Revelation 22, some of the last verses of the Bible, it says that this, it's complete. No one should add to it or take away from it because it is what it is. It's the whole story. You have that available to you today. Number two, the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, John 14, 16 through 17 talks about this gift of the Holy Spirit and how it resides with you and it gives you the ability to commune with God and it convicts and it encourages and it corrects and it speaks into your life in these situations. Mary didn't have that. The angel was there and then the angel left. The Holy Spirit is here today and it's not going anywhere. Think about, you know, over the next few days, she goes to Joseph and she tells him this story. Like, Joseph's probably got some questions. Wouldn't have been really nice to be like, hey, Gabriel, can you come back and say what you said to me? Because I'm not saying it right. The Holy Spirit is in you and it's available to you today. Number three, the local church. Ephesians 3.10, 1 Corinthians 12, talk about the power that resides in the body of believers. And the beauty of the local church is that you can take these questions, these desires, these, man, I need a sign, and bring it to generations of faith in this church and beyond. We have the testimony of believers in a widespread net You were not made to do life alone. You were not made to be isolated in these desires for peace within you. That is actually Satan's greatest tactic is that he would remove you from community and allow you to live in this environment where you think that you are the only one who doesn't have peace in their life. Rather, God has given us the gift and it says in scripture that angels look on the church with wonder. Like, they don't understand it. It is something that they can't even experience, but yet we pray for the angel when you have the church in front of you. Number four, the power of prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus says, ask in my name, and it will be done. It will be given to you. First Peter three twelve. there is power behind prayer. Prayer of a righteous man, it says. You have this ability to communicate with God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He's praying your prayer to the Father. You don't have to go to a a temple and present sacrifices. You don't have to be a priest and hope that you get the draw that Zechariah did to go in and offer sacrifices. You have a direct connection to God and still we pray for the angel visit, for the sign. It's a miraculous thing that appears. Last one, number five, the adoption of God. The adoption of God, John 1, 12, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, say that God created us and then destined us to be sons and daughters of the living God. That is not something he gave to angels. Angels are created beings, yes, but they were designed for the purpose of fulfilling 
the Father's will and doing everything that he commands them to do. And their whole life, their whole desire is just to, to worship the Lord and then do whatever his bidding is. But then while we were created in almost the same context, he gave us this other side where he says, you're in my family. You are adopted. When you believe in me, when you accept me, I accept you and you are now children of God. That is a privilege, that is an honor. And it says again in scripture that, that we as, as earthly fathers, right, you're getting ready to give some gifts to your kids at Christmas. You know how to give good gifts. You're not gonna give your kid a snake or anything like that. You're gonna give them good gifts. How much more do you think that God knows how to give you good gifts? And we sit and we question and we say, where's the sign? This can't possibly be the plan. So next time you have lost the peace in your life, you can respond in faith on the assurance that God's plan is the best plan. And in the face of doubt, you can rest in the fact that you don't need an angel to confirm it's the best plan because you have all of these things available to you. So while Mary responds with faith, there is the question of what happens now. In all reality, this seems biologically impossible, and it is. So Gabriel explains that this will be done by no work of man. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's this connection here to God the Creator. You read Genesis 1, verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Mary, this isn't going to work the way that you know it to work. God is going to create life the same way that he created all life. This is God's doing. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. You're going to know that this child is different. And just to show you how powerful God is, you know your cousin who has been a reproach to your people? Everyone knows her as barren, five months pregnant. For nothing will be impossible with God. That is one of the most peaceful, peace-filled statements in the whole Bible. Nothing will be impossible with God. Take every can't, don't, never going to happen, shouldn't happen, I can't believe it statement in your life and slap Luke chapter 1 verse 37 over the top of it. Nothing will be impossible with God. That should bring you peace in your life. The problem can come when the impossible becomes our gauge for whether or not we are in God's favor. I can't begin to imagine the, the different things that you brought in to the room this morning that would speak of the peace that has been lost in your life and maybe even the impossible situation that you face. Whether it's the diagnosis of a relative or yourself, whether it's that person that you know you're gonna see at Christmas that you're just terrified to even bring up the name of Jesus, you can't even imagine that they would entertain that conversation. Maybe it's that circumstance that you're walking through right now where you don't really see a resolution, that marriage that's kind of broken and beginning to crack and you're just wondering, can we actually hold this together? It doesn't seem possible with everything that's going on and there is a possibility right here for you to realize 
Nothing will be impossible with God. But we use that as this gauge of, well, if I'm in God's favor. Notice Mary's last words to the angel were not this. Behold, I'm as righteous as Elizabeth. Let it be done to me because it was done for Elizabeth. This is the the greatest obstacle from peace I think we face today. The trap of comparison. We can compare things we feel somewhat comfortable talking about this morning, right? I mean, I wish I made as much money as them. I, I wish I had their body. I wish my kids acted like that. I wish my life was as perfect as theirs. But if I can be real, I find myself in this trap over things that embarrass me to acknowledge. Man, how come he gets to be on that platform? Why didn't I get invited to that when they did? Why do they get to live in that house? Why hasn't God given me that opportunity? Why hasn't God fixed this problem in my life? Why hasn't God answered my prayer when I see him answer their prayer? If we look for peace in the opportunity someone else has, we will never find it. Mary didn't think that she deserved this opportunity because God had done something great in Elizabeth's life. She identified herself as a servant of the Lord. Mary wasn't hoping that this would happen because she was awesome. Mary didn't hope that this would happen and this would somehow set her apart and everyone would look at her as such a powerful thing. She said, I am a servant of the Lord, a slave, a bondservant. We have such negative connotations with that in our culture, even the words like submit and surrender. But what she's really trying to communicate to Gabriel and to the Lord is that I willingly lay down my plans and my desires and say, as your word says, let it be done. Not, this is the way I thought it should go, so God, do it. Here's my impossible circumstance. If you fix that, then I'll trust you. Then I'll respond in faith. No, we need to realize the opportunity in front of us. Realize the opportunity is not for us to get our peace back, but for us to glorify the Lord. See, Mary realizes the opportunity in front of her is to be a vessel for God. And she walks forward trusting God with all her heart. I wonder if today you could look at the lost peace in your life from another angle rather than, oh man, this has just disrupted my plans. I'm just praying for God to bring it back and I'm just gonna rest in him and hope that somehow I can, you know, get all my pieces back together and get the game set back up the way that I want to and then we can continue on the way that I was headed. So often we blaze through the problems in life trying to fix it so that we can get back to what we were doing beforehand. And I'm trying to tell you that most of the time when there is situations like this where we can respond with faith, we react in humility, we realize this opportunity is for us to live a life better than what we can truly understand for God's glory. That his plan is better than our plans. Maybe the greatest peace we can find is seeing God glorified in the midst of our greatest distress. I have some good friends, Kendall and Andy, who I watch just live this out in their life. 
I had the privilege of, I mean, over a year ago now to sit in their living room and, and film this God at Work story. That footage was probably about 80 minutes, and we showed 10 minutes of it to our church of their story of, of Kendall's miraculous surviving of cancer and the faith that they showed through walking all of that and, and their journey from that past forward of, of seeking kids in their life and Man, just a powerful declaration of story. I left that house that night with more faith, realizing that there was an opportunity for me to live a life that was more dedicated to Christ than what I knew right then. I was inspired by their testimony that they said, I'm a servant of the Lord, right? And just recently, within the past month, I've watched it happen again with his sister Kari tragically passing away in a car accident. And not once did Kendall stand up there and go, God, the peace is gone. You've ruined the game. This is not the way it was. I didn't want to pick up that card. I didn't want to go down that path. I watched Kendall and his wife step up and say, I'm a servant of the Lord. And stand in a room at Mayo and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is peace in Jesus, even in the most unfathomable circumstances that we could walk through in life. Our greatest opportunity for God's peace is him using it in the midst of our distress. Saying, God, you be glorified. Take my life, it's yours. I can assure you that because Jesus Christ came, peace is near. You don't have to wait for Christmas. You don't have to wait for the Messiah. He is near today, the Prince of Peace, here now. Find peace in these words from Jesus in John 14, verse 27. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has found favor. You are full of God's grace. You are a recipient of God's grace. That is the greatest peace God could give us. So as we leave today, I wanted to to give you some peace in the form of a peace. Um, Super cheesy. But Christmas is all about cheese, right? Maybe you, you came in and you're, you're like, I'm just looking for the peace. I'm looking for the lost peace. Jesus is that peace. I can't guarantee any type of uh, miracle. Uh, you know, I think the angel visitation, again, I think is, is something we could long for and hope for to just give clarity to this season of life. But I think the greatest peace we can find at Christmas is realizing that Jesus Christ came not just to fulfill prophecy or to tell a cool story, but he came to bring you the greatest peace that you could experience, and that's in his salvation. Shalom is not the absence of strife. It is the completion. It is God taking that out and filling it with himself. So as you leave today, I just want to encourage you, you can come down. We're going to close here with a song, and um, you can come down and grab these. I've even got some pretty little gold string. You can tie it around and hang it on your tree just to remind yourself that there is peace that is near. 
and it's in Jesus. Let me pray. God, there is a, a desire within us right now just to feel even a resolution from this message, from this passage, Lord. We know there's more to the story. We know the, the faith that Mary and Joseph show. We know that the end game is this child born in a manger. We know that there is a greater story with a cross on a hill and a resurrection from an empty tomb. And Lord, there is so much more. But I pray today, right now, we would find peace in knowing that your greatest desire in our life is not that we would have all the answers, not that we would know every twist and turn of this game called life, but God, that we would lean into the purposes and plans of Jesus Christ. That our life is more than just the things that we see. Our life is more than just the choices and the, the actions that would bring about a different circumstance. We are not tossed to and fro. We are rooted in you. So God, again, your people have gathered here. We've, we've turned and set our hearts upon you so that we might feel the peace of God. So Prince of Peace, come right now. I pray that we would understand who we are, that we are servant of the Lord. We would react with humility. We would respond in faith and realize the opportunity in front of us to worship and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.